So as we pick it up in chapter 23, we're coming to those Jewish feasts that we've read about already. We've been getting them through Exodus and Leviticus, but now tonight we get an expounding and some really neat insight that's very encouraging, I think, for all of us as we get into it. So in chapter 23, verse 1 of Leviticus, there at Mount Sinai, God's just sealing the deal in his covenant with the Jews. They're going to be his people of covenant for 1,500 years. And he's, now he's given them these feasts. So he's given them the laws to govern society and acceptable and unacceptable behavior. And now he's given them things that relate to them and their relationship with him and the joy of that relationship in the covenant he has with them uniquely as a nation like never before or ever since. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Six days you shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It's the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheep of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheep before the Lord and to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer it on that day when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither the bread nor the parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you've bought an offering to your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout all your generations in all your dwellings. I've read these together because they tend to go together. First of all, we see yet again for Israel and the nation of Israel and their covenant relationship. He gave them the Sabbath every seven days. And unlike any other society around them, the cultures around them, and even today in many countries, a lot of cultures, they don't turn it off for a day. Some of you remember growing up in America back in the 60s and 70s, a lot of things were closed on Sunday. Our country had that heritage and that, that remnant were, not a remnant, or just that structure in our society. We were still somewhat of a Judeo-Christian society, majority over minority, and a lot of stores were closed on Sundays. Most businesses closed on Sunday, and eventually as I became a teenager and got a little bit older, I began to notice that more things would stay open and how, you know, we don't have that distinction so much in our culture. But you older people can remember, you went to church on Sunday, or friends did, and this place was closed, this place was closed, and these things were closed. That's a remnant to remind us as a nation that our founding fathers had that we'd be reminded once a week that the Lord ultimately is our provider. It's kind of like on the coin where it says, in God we trust. The idea that we'd be reminded as a society once a week that God gives us our jobs, God gives us our homes, God gives us our health, God gives us joy in our relationships with the family. God gives us safety and security in our communities. God gives us God-fearing people to guide and govern us. That's what that reminded of us 60, 50 years ago, back in the 60s and 70s. And we obviously are not going back to that. But 
at least for me, it's a good memory as a kid growing up and seeing where things were closed. And you know, when you're a kid, you want things to be open. 7-Eleven was the one thing that was always open on Sunday. I always remember 7-Eleven. And that's when 7-Eleven was open from what? 7 to 11. Yeah, you're definitely a baby boomer if you know that. As a nation, we kind of had this, and that's American history. I don't know how many other nations ever had that. I, don't th- I think there's a lot of cultures that didn't have anything remotely close to it. England probably did. Probably New Zealand, the Commonwealth nations. I'm sure Australia had this at one point in time, something similar to this. But at any rate, they had it for a covenant. That's the difference. We did it because we chose to do it like, hey, let's follow this principle. But they actually were commanded to do it. And as I've said before, in the Ten Commandments reiterated in the New Testament, all nine, nine of the ten are reiterated. This is the only one not reiterated because for Israel, this was the sign of the covenant with them. This is what made them so separate is that once a week, Yahweh, God Almighty, said, we take it, we take it easy. And it wasn't to be a yoke of heaviness that's a burden that you can't do any work. It was to be refreshing. As it says that the Sabbath was made for man. That's what Jesus said, to refresh him. And again, we're reminded, yet again, that it's good to have a day off in seven to be refreshed and, and just turn it off, all the busyness of the mind and the pressures, and enjoy the Lord, enjoy family, and be refreshed. It's a good thing. And it's a prelude to these feasts. So he gave them these festival feasts, basically clustered in the springtime and the autumn, and then here, the prelude is the Sabbath, which he gave them every week. Now, Next week, we'll get into the year of Jubilee and things like that, the seven-year Sabbath rest as well. So God had all these wonderful things set up, and they're all set up to bless his people in their covenant with him. And again, we look at the principles. So that first holiday coming forward in the springtime, of course, is Passover, which speaks of when they were delivered from Egypt, from under the slavery of their taskmaster, Pharaoh, their bondage in Egypt, and being slaves, a type of what we said, being in bondage to the devil, sin and the world system and we've been delivered by jesus from that and so that passover lamb on the 14th day you saw it right there on the 14th day of the first month on their calendar you're going to do this with the lamb so they're to do this every year so again sabbath is every week to be refreshed by the lord but the passover was once a year to be reminded how god passed over their them with the blood on their doorpost but he judged those who oppressed them and were against them who did not have the blood. So if you're under the blood, the death angel of death passed over you, but if you're not, it was death. And so they're reminded every year, once a year, the solemnness of being delivered by being under the blood. Now for Christians, a lot of us really, we get this with Good Friday, right? Again, Good Friday is, a, is an American, again, it's an American holiday to some degree. As a child, I remember everything being closed on Good Friday. I remember, like, my mom, I think you didn't eat meat on Good Friday, if I remember right, you know, in the Catholic background. Like, I just remember, like, well, it's a solemn day. Like, Good Friday was a solemn day growing up in my house with my Catholic mom. And it was a day where you thought, like, I'm, I'm a little scoundrel. I am a sinner, and uh, I need Jesus, right? Like, that, that was the idea behind Good Friday. So the closest thing that we have to Passover for us is the church doesn't celebrate Passover because Christ is our Passover. We're told that in the New Testament. Christ is our Passover. He's the Lamb of God who takes what's in the world. So Christ fulfilled Passover, and so he fulfilled it by dying on the cross for our sins. Thus, for us, the closest thing to Passover really is Good Friday. When we go to a Good Friday service and we hear about the crucifixion message that Jesus was crucified for us, that's, our, that's kind of the church's way, not American society, but the believer's way. And what does the what does church do worldwide every year? They celebrate Good Friday. 
Like we celebrate, the church celebrates Good Friday all over the planet every Good Friday as it comes up on the calendar. So that's something for us. It's somewhat similar so we can relate to it. Our kids, when they were younger and Pastor Chuck was still alive, and we live in Costa Mesa and I was on staff, I was, of course, required to be a part of the Good Friday services at Verizon Amphitheater or Easter in the Meadows, and those are wonderful memories. And, you know, I'd always hope it'd be cool, you know, because you get some, sometimes Good Friday would cook right there, you know, if you had the seats there at Verizon Amphitheater. It could be warm at 1230 in the afternoon, depending on if it was especially a later Easter, like in April, like a later Good Friday. But for our kids, it's a wonderful memory, and our kids value Good Friday because Every Good Friday, we would go, we'd get family photos every year at Verizon Amphitheater for Good Friday. And again, this is when Pastor Chuck was there. And he'd, you know, he'd have Dennis Agajanian or different other people come out. And you know, that guy that had that deep baritone used to sing a cappella. That guy was awesome. And just powerful services. And then we'd always go to, to lunch. Usually Nalu's right there, you know, off Irvine by um, Sand Canyon. But we'd do something that sealed a memory. And to this day, our kids all want to do something on Good Friday after they've gone to service to be together as a family and to celebrate. There are so many things the devil and evil men and women would take from you. They can't take those things. They can't take those kind of memories. We can step in eternity and cancer can take your life and evil people can take your life because they disagree with your ideologies, your Christian worldview. But they can't take the legacy of faith that you pass on with religious holidays to your children. My kids from here to eternity will always remember Good Fridays at Verizon with Pastor Chuck and really good lunches at Nalu's. And they still want to do this even now as they're moving to their upper 20s. So I think the application is pretty clear. Good Friday is the closest thing we have to the Passover. And when you prioritize these things with the people you love and community of faith, they're lifetime memories that will serve you well if you're 90 and in the hospital by yourself because no one can visit you because it's COVID. So what he had for them, there are things that we can apply. Now, when you come forward from the Passover, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which began essentially right with it. Now, unleavened bread is interesting because it's distinct from the Passover because the Passover is about being under blood, nothing you did, but unleavened bread is something you do. And, of course, leaven speaks of sin in the Bible. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread was immediately reminding the people who were under the blood as they went out the next day that they're separate. Now, we did the whole topical study Saturday was our sanctification. And the unleavened bread speaks of sanctification. So after they celebrated being under blood, they would spend seven days with unleavened bread, thinking about meditating and considering that they were a set-apart people, that they were a peculiar people set apart for the Lord in a covenant relationship. Unleavened bread. So the feast itself was to remind them of these things. Now, what's interesting, too, about with Good Friday and Easter, we call it Holy Week, but it kind of goes reverse, right? Because like, Good Friday sort of is accumulation of Holy Week, and then Holy Week is fulfilled with Easter Sunday. But a lot of churches, I know a lot of churches, Calvary chapels. Well, for one, I know Poncho up there, the Ark in Montebello, they do a special service every day of the week leading up to Good Friday and Easter with Holy Week. Holy Week. Holy Week. 
unleavened bread was a holy week. It's not like the other 50 weeks of the year. It's a holy week. So again, God set this up to help them understand. He gave them these these feasts to help them understand the uniqueness, the beauty, and the distinction of their relationship with him in contrast to the world around them that were not people of covenant. Then the, from the unleavened bread, we have the, the Feast of First Fruits, which also essentially began in conjunction with all this. Now, the Feast of First Fruits is interesting because the early, it's the early harvest. So you're coming out of winter, and it's the first harvest. Now, they're not, obviously, we all know they're an agri-society, so they can't just go to the grocery store and, you know, get what they want. Like, we, we get a little frustrated when the fruit's out of season. You know, like, I can tell you, all the Chilean fruit comes in in our winter. Like, I know now, I have been to Chile so many times, but I notice all the good fruit that you get in our grocery stores in the wintertime, the off-season, almost all of it comes from Chile because it's their summer, very similar climate, and it gets shipped to us. But for us, like, off-season is like, oh, you can't get good peaches in, you know, November. You get Trader Joe's frozen peaches for your smoothie, but you're not getting fresh peaches. And if they are, they're not that good, right? They're off-season. Well, that's our idea of, like, there's a breakdown of supply chain, right? COVID-19 is like, okay, so there wasn't toilet paper for a while, and maybe there was shortages of this or that, and there's all kinds of shortages still that are out there. But we have a lot of confidence that when we go to Mother's or Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or Albertsons or Vons, that, you know, most of what we want is going to be there. And even when it was all the end of the world, the last few weeks of March, you know, if you got there early, you could still get the eggs, Right? And that's before you had to have a mask. I remember getting eggs at 7 in the morning, being one of two people wearing a mask, and people thought I was crazy. They looked at me like I was from a science fiction movie. I was like, oh, just wait for it, right? So the idea of, like, it's there for us to get. We're a very convenient society and a consumer-oriented society. But this is very interesting when you think about it because they were completely dependent upon an agri-society, and they they would save through the off-season, almost like preppers are us, if you will, to get through the winter. They had Midianites, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Egyptians, Syrians, all around them wanting to take what they had. Remember Gideon plowing in secret, the food? Food was everything, right? Like food is daily sustenance. Food is, food is everything, now, most of, us know, most of us have no concept of being dependent upon give us this day, our daily bread, but a lot of the world does. And there's still people that are very old that are alive that have been through incredible famines by totalitarian governments like Stalin's Ukrainian famine is one of the worst famines, uh, forced famine, starvation of millions of innocent people. It was as bad or worse than what Hitler did to the Jews. It was so bad what Stalin did to the Ukrainians in the late 20s. So, like... Most of the world's hungry, right? We know that today. Most of the world's hungry. And we have everything we need, essentially, by and large. And it's a great place to be poor because you can find someone's going to feed you. And you can find a lot of good food in the trash in Orange County. Not that that's how I want to eat, but if you're starving to death, that's a whole lot better than, like, eating seagulls and uh, unbroken, right? With, you know, Louis Zamperini in the movie. So this is harder for us to realize, but this is really important, and that's why I'm going into it. The first fruits was the first food they had. It's like coming out of the grocery store with what you really, I really got what I wanted. You know, when Whole Foods opened up over here on Brookhurst last week, two weeks ago, we've just been waiting for it, like wait for it. 
And it was our big Sunday outing, me and my wife. These are the exciting things you do in your late 50s. Like, we're going to, well, I'm late 50s, she's not. But we're, Sunday's built around the walk on the bike path and going to Whole Foods. And just, just taking it all in. And I just, we got all the stuff we wanted. It'd be like walking up, you know. And I've said this before, don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry, right? And if your husband's kind of tight with the budget, take him grocery shopping when he's hungry. Because he'll loosen up that budget. Like, hey, I thought we were on a budget here. No, it's, a new, it's all good. You know, like the, the, the wives do that for the grandkids, you know. Like they'll buy anything for the grandkids. But the dads, they're just like that for food. You know, so... It'd be like walking out of Whole Foods with that grocery cart, with all that stuff, and instead of putting it in your car, taking it right down to the tabernacle. This is the Lord's. That's what it'd be like. The first fruits, the first fruits of what you've been waiting for. Oh, whole, it's the first fruits. You're not gonna, you're not gonna have a backyard barbecue. You're taking it to Aaron and his descendants, and you're gonna acknowledge that the the, the ability you have to even go into Whole Foods and buy that food, and have that food. It's because God gave you those resources. So instead of you having the barbecue today, which sounds really fun, don't worry, there'll be a barbecue for you next week. But this week's barbecue goes to Aaron and his household because I'm the Lord and I'm your provider. And there's not a magic plastic card that provides everything. I provide everything. Remember in the movie Tip of the Spear with Jim Elliott, the whole thing about like how the Alcanias got saved and Jim Elliott gave his life to the Lord. They got speared, the five missionaries. In the follow-up of, of Tip of the Spear, it's Elizabeth Elliott, you know, the whole story of Elizabeth Elliott through Great Splendor and all that. The movie is really big, like 10 years ago. But one of the interesting things about that movie is one of the Indians, the Indians, that got saved through the death of Jim Elliott, I believe he's the one that actually killed Jim Elliott. They brought him to the United States and he thought it was, you know, he's coming from like a, essentially a, Stone Age tribe, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, he was in modern Ecuador, so he understood, you know, the ideas of cars and buses. But he came to America, and the thing that he loved about America is you had this little plastic card, and it got you everything you wanted. It was like this amazing thing, like, what is that? Like, it's like, you know, like money on the trees, right? It's the card that just never, you know, just never ends. We don't have that, although we might think we have it. That's why, that's why, um, well, Dave Ramsey would say, pay with cash when you're trying to watch your money, because cash is real. The car's not real. Oh, there it is, 120 bucks at Whole Foods, because it's Sunday. Cash, you're like, oh, 20, 20, 20, 20. That's oh, like, cash is real. Well, everything of the first fruits, it all goes to the Lord in their covenant relationship. Why is that so important? Because in the time of drought, they needed the Lord. They needed to know the Lord was a provider. In the time of plenty, they needed to know that the Lord was their provider. They had to have it firmly established when they set the family budget. Category one is the first fruits are the Lord's. The Lord is not the leftover. Now, we do our budget like A, B, C, D, E, F. I, I do alphabet numbers. And I can assure you in our house, A, number one on our family budget it's the tithe, it's the resources going to the Lord. And everything else flows down from that. You know, the house, utilities, cost of living, extra things, your kids, cars. There's different categories, but A is the Lord's. And that's what this is about. That 
we understand that the first fruits is the Lord. And it's not because he needs it, and we understand that, but the first fruits of our possessions are the Lord's because we need to know it comes from the Lord. When we get to the year of Jubilee, we realize it all goes back to the Lord anyways. <laughs> you had it, now you got to give it back. It really wasn't your house. You paid off the mortgage in 30 years, year of Jubilee, it goes back to Fred next door, right? Like it's, it's, and then the Lord says, and it's not even Fred's, it's mine. Because I'm the Lord and you're all going to live and die and it's still going to be my land. <laughs> right? Like I always say, all these beautiful houses in Huntington Beach, down behind the Paseo, those older neighborhoods there that were built in the 20s, yeah, like the original owners, you know, long gone. Those houses have had a lot of owners. They've been remodeled. They've been leveled. The land's still there. They go up three stories now, right? In Huntington Beach, you just go up three stories in the middle. The land has seen a lot of people come and go. It's, it's not about that the Lord is bankrupt. It's about he wants us not to be spiritually bankrupt. And I'll just move on from this. The best thing about always acknowledging the Lord with your first fruits of all your increase, the principle, because the one who sows bountifully reads bountifully, the best thing is when there's a difficult day financially, you don't have to wonder, like, did I bring this on myself? I think that's, for me personally, in all of our giving, and just having an automatic, that I never have to wonder, like, if we're in a financial bind or things are tight, like, wow, like, did I, is this me? Like, is this not, is this me not being a good, like, and as I studied the life of many wonderful men and women that have served the Lord in church history, you find that they become more and more generous as they go through their life, whether it's Pastor Chuck or George Mueller and all these people. When we realize that the Lord, that we all really truly live by faith in an agri-society, that we need the Lord to bring the rains, we need the Lord to give the increase, and we need to keep the Lord first with all of our first roots, we will truly be blessed people and we won't be moved. And our resources don't own us. We own them as unto the Lord, and we're all stewards. Now, obviously in this church, this church is incredibly generous. We are incredibly blessed. And it's not really even an exhortation. It's just me teaching the context of the text. So please take it that way, because this is a very generous church. We always have been. We always will be. And you can't outgive God. And like, it's like a boomerang right now. We try and give it to everybody. It all comes back more. So... God's not broke, like Pastor Chuck would say. You know, if someone says God's broke, <laughs> no, God's not broke. They're broke, you know. <laughs> and all. <laughs> and uh, God is good. And I, I just, it's, it's important for me to know this, to know this. As I think about the last 20 years of my life, looking at the last 30 years of my life. Because if you lay in bed thinking like, are the millennials going to give us a social security, yes or no? <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. Will anything be left? You know, like, you know, maybe the Gen Xers will make that call. I don't know. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can just, you can fret over these things. You just got to know, like, let your faith be an agri-society faith that God provides it, God gives it, and it's all the Lord's. And that way you're free and you just, you, you sow and it's good and you know that God's your provider. You know that God's your provider. So that was the Feast of First Fruits. So in this, the beginning of the year, in the springtime, Sabbath every week, but then the blood, under the blood, consecration, Feast of Unleavened Bread, that sanctification, then First Fruits, keep God first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, that whole principle. And then they would all go their way, and they come back in 50 days for Pentecost. So now we read on in Pentecost. And you shall count for yourselves, verse 15, from the day after the Sabbath, 
from the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day of the seventh Sabbath, and you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull, two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, and an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering, two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as of a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that's a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. When you reap, nor shall you gather and glean from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So that's a reaffirmation of what we studied just a week or so ago about you don't glean everything. Yeah, we need to have a heart and a disposition for those less fortunate for us and that there's... There's stuff there for them. There's gleanings for them. So here, the Feast of Weeks is Pentecost. And we know, for example, with the Gospels, we have Jesus crucified on the Passover. He's crucified on the Passover. And then he rises on the third day. And then now comes this first fruits, the fuller first fruits, 50 days later, less than two months, with Pentecost. So with Pentecost... That brings us to the book of Acts, right? So it's on the book of Acts was Pentecost. So the Jews came to the Jerusalem for the feast. All the men would appear before the Lord. So they would come up to Jerusalem for Passover. Then they'd go home for a month and a half, and then they'd come back for Pentecost. And so as we connect this to the New Testament, we see that Jesus was crucified on Passover. They all went their way and thought, well, that was crazy what happened in Jerusalem. Something to think about when you're walking home to the north or the south, wherever you came from. And then they come back for Passover, for uh, Pentecost. They come back for Pentecost, and they're all back there again, like, wow, here we are again, man, same city. It's like, wow, man, what happened here 50 days ago was just a tragedy, like still trying to wrap our minds about this. You know, this Jesus of Nazareth, the most amazing one, we, we're hearing people say that he was Messiah. And, and then there it is, day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit falls down on the 12 apostles, Matthias replacing Judas. They preach the gospel. Peter preaches the gospel. The whole city's in an uproar. You know, there's a sound of a mighty wind. They've got the tongues of fire over them, visible that people can see. And they're speaking in the languages, praising God that all the people understood that they didn't know. And everyone knows they're seeing something supernatural at Pentecost. And the church is birthed. Peter preaches the gospel that Jesus fulfilled Passover. And we are his witnesses. And then thousands of people give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, they turn from their, their sins, repent of their sins, and receive Christ, and they're forgiven. And the church is birthed, and then we're told they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, prayer, and fellowship. And the church is birthed. And then the rest of Acts chapter 2 is beautiful, where they meet house to house, like supper together groups. They meet in the temple area, like here in the sanctuary or in the green belt. They, they, they got together, and they were the church. The church was birthed on Pentecost. So it's important to realize on this fuller first fruits. It really is symbolic. It was pointing forward to the church age and the harvest of the believers. When Jesus, before he went to the cross, or after he went to the cross, and he appeared to the apostles, and he said, go fulfill the great commission, preach this gospel to every creature. And he said, you know, 
Go make disciples of every nation. And so when we think about the Pentecost harvest, it really is symbolic. So for 1,500 years, when to whatever extent they obeyed this in the Jewish culture, in their covenant with God, it was speaking of the church age, what God would do with the Gentiles, all of us with our different ethnic backgrounds and you know our faith for our timeline right now. It was speaking of that. And it's worth noting, going back to the first fruits, the, the first of the first fruits, 50 days before, there is a connection to that one as well to Jesus because we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection and then we come later. So it's often been pointed out that that first fruit that we just talked about there, honoring the Lord with the very first fruit of, of everything, that that really is symbolic of Christ being the first fruit of the resurrection and then this first fruit that follows 50 days later is symbolic of all those who have life for, you know, he was raised for our justification. And it is not yet revealed, but when he comes, we'll be as he is in his glory. For this mortal must put on immortality, this corruptible must put on incorruptibility. And when he comes for us, our glory, our glorified bodies, when this mortal puts on immortality, this terrestrial puts on celestial, that we will be as he is. So when we talk about that first fruit, that all belongs to Jesus symbolically. But this first fruits of a larger scale, a larger harvest, is symbolic of the church. Which brings us to an interesting thought about this. We are fulfilling Pentecost to this day. Because if the book of Acts is about the gospel going out through the early church, and we say Acts chapter 29, which doesn't exist in the Bible, is the church going out now, doing everything we do, we are the extension of that. So Christ is our Passover. Christ rising from the grave is our first fruit. But the church is this first fruit to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And this helps us stay on track and it helps us stay on focus with what's going on around us with the madness of our planet right now with the COVID-19 situation and in our own country and our own state and our own county. Because these are things are out of our control. Like seriously, it, what's happened on a global level is out of our it's out of our control. It's it's sometimes I look at the whole COVID situation and I go, the Lord's allowed it, which he certainly has, but it's the devil, because there's so much evil being perpetrated from it. Yet there's so much good coming from it too, in some ways. If you have the eyes of faith, all things work together for good. And in this time where we're all just it's so beyond us. Spiritually, what's going on around us with COVID, because the situation, we don't even know where it's going yet. Like a lot of people have a lot of ideas where they think it's going to end up after November and the American election, which affects the whole planet. But it may or may not end up after the election. The human race will probably just keep on going on after the election, as it has after every other election. So God's not done until he's done. And each of us is about one of eight billion people on the planet. If we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're spirit-filled. He's given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So everything God wants to do in our life is available to us as we yield to the Lord, as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, keeping him first. And Pentecost was a reminder to them every year of God's full increase. And if, there's, if we're uncertain, like, why we're alive right now, because my mom passed away right before all this began, and people are passing away while it's happening. God chose for us to live at such a time as this with such unprecedented things that we've watched and been a part of. 
But we can control with so much we can't control. I've been joking, I, I just let my hair go because it's one thing I can do. Like, like if I want to look like Brady Bunch again, I look at Brady Bunch, man. You can't make me cut my hair. Now, they make, make me cut my hair at some point, but not today. It's kind of a silly thing. I was like, hey, no one tells me to cut my hair. Uh, you know, like, I don't have to cut my hair. You know, it's like, and we all feel that way about certain things. Because I have to wear a mask when I go into Wells Fargo to do the church deposit. I have to wear a mask when I'm at Whole Foods. I don't like those lines. Those lines give me anxiety the way they do lines at Whole Foods with COVID. I get anxiety, little yellow, yellow steps. I'm like, uh, 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 uh. I'm like, you know, elf or something. I just like, uh. like, it's just, it unsettles me. And I have to do it that way. I don't like to see people behind plexiglass and the, dis, the distant, you know, the broken relationships. I go to the bank today and I see tellers, the people working with their mask, interacting. It's just so unnatural to see it with the mask on. But I don't have any control over that. That's out of my wheelhouse. What is in my wheelhouse is this, is this, is that, is us. The Great Commission. Praying about where we sow next and how we sow and how much we sow. That's what's in our wheelhouse. That's our Pentecost. Our stewardship and our opportunity is to expand the kingdom through our lives. And however we can do that, we want to do that. So when we keep our wits, when other people are melting down, good for us. When we forgive when other people aren't forgiving, good for us. When we just exhale, when, everyone, when we just count from 10 to 1, when other people aren't, good for us. You see, what God's really been teaching me is to focus on my stewardship. And I'm going to pray for all these other people and their stewardships. I can't help Pastor Brian Broderson because he doesn't want to open up so they can open up for more than 100 people. I don't blame him. That's not my stewardship. It's his problem. I care about him. I pray for him. But we can be in here and we can fit our entire church in here because of the size of our church. Brian Broderson and his leadership have to figure out how they're going to do this. So I pray for him. And I pray for John MacArthur and his parking stuff taken from him. I pray for Rob McCoy. I haven't stopped praying for these people just because I haven't been mentioning them. But it's not... My stewardship, this is my stewardship. This is my Pentecost. How we can reach more people in our community through worship generation. How we can reach more people in our country through worship generation. How we can link up with Franklin Graham and his prayer march on the 26th on the National Mall. How we can send resources to Haiti and Brian McDaniel. How we can... Uh, pass out more Joy Brand DVDs to people that go down to the pier and pass out tracks. This is our Pentecost. This is what is in our wheelhouse. This is what we can do. We can have a vision for an increase of souls for the kingdom and the great harvest through our daily obedience with the person we see in the mirror, the people we wake up to in our house, and the people we see when we go in our community. That's what I can control. I can control my perspective, my attitude, and my disposition and stay on point. I'd have to say, using sports, this game has definitely turned into a road game. 
we are on the road. I feel like this is not a home game at all. This is as hostile as any hostile environment can be for a road game for our team. But the best wins and the sweetest wins are when you get it done on the road. Those are the sweetest ones. You know, what's that sound? Oh, there is no sound because we silenced it. And think about it. This is not our home. Abraham looked for the city which his builder maker was God. Foundation was heaven. This is not about our home. I share with Sam right before service in going through Revelation right now in my devotions. Um, there's that promise for him who overcomes, they'll, they'll be kings with me and they'll reign. Like, I don't, I'm not really a power-seeking person, but obviously there's a lot of people out there that are. But I'd be like, hey, you know, like, who knows? Maybe you'll be king or queen over something. And, but it's not for this realm. Would you want to rule and reign for like four years or eight years in America? Or would you want to rule and reign for all eternity because you're faithful to Jesus for the kingdom in time, space, and matter? Because that's, Jesus promises it. He promises that we'll rule and reign with him. So if we have that eternal perspective, we have Pentecost because we're, we're part of the harvest right now. And the harvest isn't done. It looks like it could be done, but it might not be done. And as long as we're alive, like if we step in eternity, it's done for us. But I think that's what I, when I think about Pentecost and the harvest and what began on the day of Pentecost, I think like I see a future and a hope. I see, I think, I see more things happening with the kingdom of God for the body of Christ. I don't see less. I see a greater need. I hear about like 10,000 small businesses closed, another 10,000 going to be closed this month. I think that's really sad and sorrowful because I've been entrepreneurial in the past. But people are hurting, and we have the good news. And no one can take us take that from us. Nobody can take the preaching of the gospel and the good news from us. They can't take it from us in our relationship with the Lord, and they can't take it from us fulfilling the Great Commission because it's the highest, it's the high, it's the number one obedience in the universe is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says He opens the door that no man closes, and He closes doors that no man can open. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. He has the keys, and the keys of the kingdom, and he's entrusted them to us. So as I've come through August and teaching outside, <laughs> I've just purposed that my, my focus become very clear. Very clear. If I'm pitching in a ball game, it's like hit your spots and don't even think about anything else. In, out, up, boom, boom. Like, I'm not even like, I'm not looking over here at first base or this heckler up here, or these TV cameras. Like, you know, I'm just like, no, it's like, just hit your spots and just stay focused. The next pitch, stay on track. It's Pentecost. What am I saying? We're Pentecost. And Pentecost isn't done. We're the church. There's a harvest to be had. And it might be a timeout, seems like, but we, wanna, we want a vision for how the harvest goes forward. Not just for the end of the world in 2020 but for 2021 and planet Earth, because we're likely going to be here, and the Great Commission is still in play. You understand? Yeah. Then we read on. The Day of Atonement. We broke this one down for a whole topical few weeks back. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 26, also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be a day of atonement. So now they come back like months later. So all these other ones, uh, excuse me, i got to go back to verse 23. These, all these ones we talked about, the Passover, first fruits, feast of weeks. Now we get the feast of trumpets, and this is all that happens in October. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 23, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. You shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So now they come back, and this is the third time they come together. And uh, it's the autumn time. But we love autumn. It's my favorite season in Southern California. So it's autumn, and they're going to blow the trumpets. So on the seventh month, first day, start blowing the trumpets. That must have been wonderful to hear those trumpets. Can you imagine? You tell your kids, your grandkids, hey, two more weeks, wait till the trumpet sounds. I get excited when they do the tsunami warning on the first Friday of the month in Huntington Beach at noon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I heard it this Friday, I'm like, oh, there it is. It's like, how about the trumpet of the Lord? Because the Lord's coming with the sound of a trumpet. And when you go to these, these back-end feasts, they all point to, like, the kingdom age and those things, which I won't be able to go into tonight, but still, the trumpet of the Lord. Again, we talk about, like, Good Friday. We talk about Easter. We talk about family things. Can you imagine, like, son, you know, Isaac, how many more days till the trumpet sounds? Daughter, Rebecca, how many more days till the trumpet sounds? Two days, Daddy. And then you get there, and here it goes. The trumpet begins. And it would begin the feast. It begin this whole celebration on the back end of the year. Verse 26, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also on the 10th day of the seventh month. So the trumpet's been going, it already began, and now we have the day of atonement. You shall have the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on the same day as the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does not, and any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. You shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So the Day of Atonement, this is where it's a little bit different because, again, we covered this in a full topical just a few weeks ago. But Passover and the blood brings you into the covenant. But the Day of Atonement is yearly forgiveness, you see? So it's like how Jesus saves us but continues to save us. Like we talk about First John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the Day of Atonement is a reminder that we are sinners in need of a Savior as people of covenant, that now we're, we're experiencing it that way, that we're in the relationship, but we still need cleansing and forgiveness in the relationship. And so the Day of Atonement would remind the people of that. Okay, so that's the Day of Atonement. Now, from the Day of Atonement comes the Feast of Tabernacles, verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the of Israel, the 15th day of the seventh month. So the seventh month is really special for the Israelites. It shall be the Feast of Tabernacle for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there will be no... Excuse me, verse 35. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offering, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbath of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all the freewill offerings which you give to the Lord. Also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered the fruit, when you have gathered the fruit of the land, 
You shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, on the eighth day a Sabbath rest, and you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and of willows and brooks. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths, those are tents, for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your children, excuse me, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. So now we get the feast of tabernacle in the sense with the, with the booths. So again, many of you know this. If you don't, you need to know. Once a year, when they went up in October, so here comes the trumpet. Here comes the Day of Atonement where you afflict yourself. And then here comes the Feast of Booths where you live in a tent for a week. It's a, it's a one-week family camp out. It is literally, and we talked about this earlier in Leviticus, it's literally a one-week family camp out. You went up to Jerusalem, you're living in the tents for a week. Why? To be reminded that we are pilgrims, that this is not our home, that we're passing through, that we're sojourners. It's to remind us of that because we can get so comfortable and thinking this is our home. So yet again, in a family tradition for the people of covenant, God would remind them, this is not your home, and these tents remind you that you come from a sojourn past and your sojourners going forward. And it's something that you'll do every year with your family. But notice what it says here. It says in verse 40, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And then it says again in 41, you shall celebrate it. And isn't that what the Lord really wants to do in our life? Because these feasts point toward the reign of Christ as their typologies are fulfilled. It points toward the kingdom of age of Christ being in control and Christ ruling and reigning. What we're moving toward is rejoicing and celebration for all eternity. Remember, in the kingdom, there's no more tears or sorrows, but it's, it's joy unspeakable. I has not seen or ear heard those things that God has prepared for those who love him. And we're going to have those things. WG, we're going to have those things. So when you think about these feasts of the Lord, and particularly this last one, I'm probably going to teach this topically on Saturday, so I'll get into this a lot more uh, topically if this is what God has for me. I think it is. It's, I've been scouting the text. But there's just something that just, so often people think like serving the Lord is arduous and heavy and difficult and like, oh, you know, it's, it's joy. Like Jesus said, I spoke in these things that your joy would be full. And he came to give life and that more abundantly. And we have abundant life. It's like Good Friday at Nalu's after service. That's abundant life. That, that's, it all goes together. And I think what's really special for me with the children of Israel when they'd wrap up their year and their holidays that God gave them in his, how he's worshiped and how he's approached, when they'd wrap up their holidays, they'd wrap up with a camping trip. They'd wrap up with a camping trip and they get to rip down the palm branches and build their booths. Like when you camp at Carpinteria and you go find sticks or whatever, you go to Refugio or you know, all those places, Halama, and you find, and you build, you know, and all that kind of stuff, and you, you build it, it's like, and it, it's a holiday, and it's meant to be joyful, and it's meant to be a celebration. They ended their calendar year with the Lord 
with a joyful holiday and a celebration because they're pilgrims and they're going to heaven. And their father, Abraham, and the patriarchs look for the city which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. And that was their hope. So every year ended with a reminder from the Lord in these feasts that it was a time of rejoicing and a time of celebration. His feasts are meant to bring reverence and reality, but in the end, when they ran their full course, is better than Christmas. And didn't everyone love Christmas growing up? Don't you still love Christmas? Christmas is wonderful. But in God's design, the tabernacle, the tents, joyful celebration. And that's why it's so important that people that name of Christ, even in the year of COVID, you walk out of here with joy in your hearts. You walk out here with those praise songs in your mind. You wake up with joyful thoughts in your mind and joyful words coming off your tongue because this is who we are in its fullest sense as the church. Amen.